Welcome to Design Your Life, the podcast where we explore applying design principles to everyday life. I'm your host and founder of Frost Collective, Vince Frost. My next guest is one of Australia's foremost landscape designers. Will Danger's 25-year career has seen him build some of the country's most iconic residential landscapes. Will moved to Sydney from northern New South Wales in his early 20s, where he started a lawn mowing and landscape business. Will quickly developed a reputation for his refined design aesthetic, no-nonsense manner, and a highly creative approach to problem solving. Now not only managing his landscape design business, Danger Baron Smith, Will is also the creative director of Robert Plum, a distinctive Australian design and construction brand synonymous with quality craftsmanship and a practical, refined aesthetic. Welcome, Will. It's really great to have you on Design Your Life, Will. Thanks, Vince. It's great to be here. Thank you so much. And we met the other day at your wonderful house in Bondi. Um, what the hell is it called again? Bismarck House. Bismarck House. No, named after the palm. Come on, mate. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not a botanist, but botanist. <laughs> but I absolutely fell in love with the cactus. What's that cactus called in the back there? Uh, to euphorbia. Oh my God, that's beautiful. So that uh, was there. We sort of uh, one of the only things left. Who designed the house? A guy called Andrew Burgess, who's a, another Bondi fellow, but um, I'd known him for years because I did his parents' garden. Yeah, amazing. We used to live. Uh, our family used to live in near in near Fletcher Street, so we were always walking around that area. And yeah. that that lane that it's in is pretty kind of uh, a yeah. bit stinky, but it's <laughs> yeah. uh, it's a great house you put there. Yeah, look, I mean, you know, I originally used to, we used to walk down Gould Street when I first came to Bondi in the early 90s, and it, and it reminds me of that lane. So I have my fingers crossed, which Gould Street now is sort of like number one retail precinct for Bondi, that ah. maybe maybe one day that laneway will end up like Gould Street. So we're, ah. just, we're just early, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, re- I reckon you are. <laughs> and uh, what, yeah, what an incredible um, experience it was. We were at an uh, event, um, was it last week, I think it was, yeah, and... It was. Um, David Harrison. David Harrison, yeah. uh, his new book is called yeah. Design in Color. I think it is, yeah. But it's, <laughs> we think yeah. it is. A, a beautiful book. And uh, obviously, uh, Karen McCartney, who's um, been on the podcast as well, his wife. We, we, we do speak every day, I reckon. Oh, yeah. my so God. So she, she's been involved in our businesses since she did my book. And, yeah. and we, her and her husband, David, have really become great friends of ours. Um, so we spend a bit of time together. Yeah, your book is beautiful too, and that's uh, was that Murdoch, wasn't it? Yeah, it was Murdoch. Yeah, but we we did a we did a, a nice um, collaboration with them on that one because hey, uh, being in the design space, I like to have some control. Surprise, surprise! First yeah. one, first one ever, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so Karen and I and Prue Rusco, who was a photographer, had control with Evie doing the art direction mm. of the of the file, and then we gave it to Murdoch, and they they printed it under our guidelines and distributed it, so it worked well. So yeah. it, was a, it was a real JV. Such a beautiful book uh, called Garden. Yeah. We, we, yeah, well, we couldn't think of what to call it. Well, it's funny. I was, <laughs> I was looking at Danger and then Garden, and I'm going, hang on a minute. It's only one letter different yeah. if you rearrange <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. it. Um, I'll change your name slightly, add an E to it somehow. Yeah, yeah. Tell me a bit about your early years in country Australia. So, yeah, I, 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 I don't know how, you know, it's funny. Everyone's got their story how they ended up in their career, but... It, you know, if I had a, you know, when I was a kid, I was never going to be into the landscape. I, I, I was always into agriculture because we, we grew up on a farm. And you know, when I sort of finished school, I, I sort of tried a little bit of coming to Sydney, and I, I didn't really like the city, so I went home. And then, 
and then I went to university and I didn't really like that. But I had a, had a bloke who used to I used to ride horses a lot, and mm-hmm. uh, had a farrier who used to put the shoes on the horse, and and he'd spent a bit of time in the Northern Territory. And he said, "Oh, mate, you've you've got to go to the Northern Territory." So. So my sort of first enjoyable career experience was working at cattle stations in the Northern Territory and then mm. I went on to, to a sort of a more management role in um, Queensland running cattle st- uh, running a stock camp, which is kind of the sort of foreman role on a farm. Anyway, so that was good fun. But I'd, I met my wife and she was a city girl, so she said, I'm not, I'm not coming to the country, mate. So she got me a job as a labourer for a landscape company in 1990. In Sydney? Yeah, in Sydney, yeah. Uh, did you meet her in the NT? No, I'd, we'd known each other kicking around at, at parties when we were kids uh-huh. at school, but no, not not well, yeah. But anyway, here we are. And and you and I share the love of motocross. Yeah, so I've, I've always like we always had motorbikes on our farm, and um, and then I just rode them a lot. I sort of got into it more when I sort of I guess in my thirties when I had a little bit more time. But I, I've sort of just uh, I'm just slowly working my way out of that now because I keep getting injured. <laughs> <laughs> I've realised I'm hopeless at it. Oh God. Yeah. But not on the road. And on, no, I did, on the a bit of, I did a bit of road racing um, badly um, in the in the late two thousands. So you know, Phillip Island and Eastern Creek and Wakefield Parkway, and, and that was good fun. But but again, um, you know, I I like to have a hobby that's well removed from my work, mm-hmm. and I find that something like like mo- motorbike riding, and I've never been a road rider on a track or when you're in the bush you, you really have to stay focused because the 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 risk of losing concentration is high and i find you know some people meditate but i find that having a hobby that that's that has fair degrees of adrenaline and risk attached to it enables me to separate mo- mm. mentally from from stuff at work so it's a it's a you know it's a well i guess, I guess it's a bogan way of meditating if, if you want a yeah. term for it yeah I don't think you're an essay bogan. <laughs> Let's see how this That's interview a, pans yeah. out. Um, but I, I, I'm the same. I, in fact, I, I ride uh, a motorbike on the road, and you know, I although I've probably think I lost my license on Wednesday because I was doing 143 down the M5. Yeah, you definitely lost it. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. um, it is a form of meditation so much that I get distracted from the speed. Yeah, but I mean, it's, um, I need that sometimes. It's you not. Know? It's not for everyone. Um, and this, you know, look, it is tricky. That's why I don't ride on the road, not because I'm worried about losing my license, but that happens anyway. But I, I, I worry about other people like myself driving cars, not concentrating. But you know, yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah. So where did the love of plants come from? Because obviously, when I when I first saw that book, uh, Karen, I think she gave it to me or or talked to me about well, it. We couldn't sell them. <laughs> oh, it's a beautiful book, and I still it's it's in my bedroom, and I often uh, leaf through it. Excuse the pun. And um, it just—it's just mesmerizing the, the 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 work that you've done and the, you know, the houses and the gardens and the kind of whole environment. Where did that come from? I mean, where did that interest come uh, from? You know, I don't know. I think um, I mean I grew up in a very big homestead with a very big garden. So our our pastoral history as a family, our, my my ancestors or forebearers were quite early settlers. So mm-hmm. they arrived in the New England area where I grew up, and and and. Where we grew up was a massive pile of bricks. It wasn't a particularly nice house, but it was a big house, um, and it was built by my grandfather's father. Um, and they had, they used to have, you know, gardeners. They would have been six or seven gardeners in the turn of the turn of the like so in the early nineteen hundreds. Um, so they were sunken gardens and orchards and all these areas. And and as the cost of labour went up and agriculture became more marginal and the land holding got smaller, that, you know, you just couldn't afford that anymore. So my grandparents used to look after it. So 
So I think it, that was kind of almost like a bit of a, an infusion, really. But it wasn't what shaped my career. But I think the person that I really um, learned a lot about plants and developed a love of was the was my sort of mentor in in the landscape space, which is a landscape designer called Marcia Hosking. So, so I kind of look of what, what you know our industry's broken up into kind of like landscape architects and landscape designers and landscapers. So, so landscape architects have, have you know have a university degree. Landscape designers do a horticulture course at TAFE or a design course, which I did, and and landscapers do like the trade course. So, so my my sort of background was coming in from the labouring perspective into landscape, mm. and then into landscape design. And that that landscape design part was taught to me not through going to college, but by this woman called Marcia, and she was a real plants mm. person. So, so you know the plant design and the way that she would use foliage texture and form was a big part of the way she worked and I just picked that up and I think it's important because I think what you see a lot of these days particularly maybe more in the urban sense than in the residential sense is the landscape architecture becomes a lot of built form and the plant material becomes secondary to it and I think you know we need more trees yeah yeah so you know that that's my that's my passion when people say to me what's your skill well it's Sure, we can make things look good structurally, but but the passion for our practice is really about c- combining vegetation. Yeah, well, I mean, mm. it's interesting. So you start off as a landscaper or just a labourer. Labor. Yeah, like moving buckets of soils in, and wheelbarrows yeah. and rocks. So did you did you try to find her or no? Did she just was quite. A, it was just organic. I, I, so I started my business in the recession. So I lost my job as a labourer in the in the ninety one recession. So I thought. Well, I'm just going to start my own business. So I had a had a, a, a Mazda B200, which was one of those cars where you went to the fuel station and you filled up the oil and checked the petrol, mm. and then every time, uh, yeah, <laughs> and, and what was always low, yeah, yeah, the oil was falling out of it. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but it was you know it was a low it was a low cost model. I had a mower and a, you know, and it was and I just basically started knocking on people's doors and going to building sites. So every wow. you know, typically a builder when they when they build something put up a sign. And so there was a number on there, it was, and it was the early days of mobile phones. So my mobile phone was looked looked you know like a suitcase, yeah. you know, with the phone attached yeah. to the end of it. And you just ring them, and and you make twenty cold calls, and you'd get a job. And then she was the landscape designer on one of those jobs. That's how I met her. Oh wow! Yeah, but it was pretty simple stuff. Was it a real eye opener for you? Yeah, you know, look, it's just it's a country mentality. Like you know, the country people, they're they're not afraid of of hard work and i think a lot yeah. of farmers these days you know they're, they're used to risk because farming's risky mm. so you know it, it, it wasn't by choice it, it just happened and and it it was good you know like and and it was work during the day and then do the paperwork at night stuff and and i and i always had one guy helping me and every year we came to get one more person helping us so it, it was a nice organic growth in the business and then it morphed into more design stuff well, we'll come on to that, but you make it sound so easy, just kind of all morphed into yeah, it was only where only, you are today. Only 30 years later. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's the thing, because, you know, you've been through that. You're probably um, being very humble about your achievements and how hard it has been, et cetera, and, and where you, what you've grown as a business is quite incredible. Um, and I think that, um, yeah, you probably don't like me saying that. No, look, mate. Because you're not there yet. You feel like you're not there yet, right? That's <laughs> right. I'm my own biggest fan, so don't worry. About <laughs> oh my god! So there's no humble. There's no humility there. It's it's very yeah. Like I've worked on it, trying to be <laughs> humble. Yeah, <laughs> it's just another skill. Yeah. Do you think nature and creativity go hand in hand? 
I don't know for everyone, but I but look, I think oh, I mean there's so much beautiful stuff in nature, isn't there? Mm. That hasn't you know that no one's had any intervention in. So I, I don't well, know. Like I think, apart from destroying it, yeah, true. But I I don't know. It's a tricky one. I go through phases where I, I where I like things to be crisp and contemporary and modern, and then I go through other phases where I like things to be natural and unkept. But I think, you know, I think that's a skill in itself, knowing knowing when to leave it alone and then knowing when to have heavy intervention, and 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 that just takes experience. Let's just talk about the experience you had. Um, I guess it was it was an apprenticeship with her? No, or? not really. It was just a real mentorship. Mentorship. Yeah. So she she basically was the designer, mm-hmm. and and I was the imp- implementer. And then from watching her work and talking to her and seeing what she did, I got exposed to some good things. And then and then I and then I thought, well, you know, like maybe I'll have a go at this design stuff myself. And I just started doing little jobs for myself while still working for Marcia. So I wasn't employed by her. We just had this nice little symbiosis going. Yeah. And then and then one You're day, just doing what she said. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've been married for twenty six years, so I'm good at that. <laughs> <laughs> but was that an official mentorship or did she no, just No, it was just organic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, that's cool. Yeah. That's and, cool. And um and then one day I said to her, I said, Look, I, I, I need to do my own stuff. So I, I basically said I stopped doing her installations and just that's when I changed my shingle from landscape landscaper to landscape designer. And that that was quite a um, you know challenging moment because she'd been providing so much work for me for so long. But I needed to stop being perceived as a landscaper and and, and mm. changing my perception for people to to being in the creative. Mm. I mean, it's incredibly hard work, isn't it, landscaping? Yeah, I mean the guys that do our stuff like they're just incredible. Like it's it's physical. Yeah, more, more so than building because there's less, there's more bulk material handling. Yeah, now my um, my sister's husband in um, in Sussex in England, he's a landscaper. Yeah, and same as my other sister Naomi in um, in Vancouver, he's a landscaper yeah, too. So, so we I don't mean, have to deal massive. with that weather. Oh, <laughs> yeah, the snow, the, oh, the freezing, rain. yeah, the yeah, rain. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you've got it easy, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, how did you shift from? So how did you know? You said morphosis, but it's how did it shift? It's quite a big jump from the physical landscaping to running multiple entities. I think you know. Again, use the I use the word like you know organic. It it, it happened really slowly. So what's tricky in in a, in the landscape business when you're heavily involved in the physical side of it yourself, and then you start going to client meetings and. You know, one minute you're wearing your, your your king G's and you're covered in dirt, and the next minute you've got to sort of half look respectable. It it took a it took a few years for that to kind of to kind of work its way through, and you need to get to a point where you're not on the tools anymore because because as a consultant, it's not the best or most effective use of your time, and and that that was a, that getting the hang of that was hard, and you you have these guys that are used to you being there you know lifting the rocks yeah. and moving the stuff around all of a sudden you're on the phone and in, you're in a shirt and a pair of pants and the, and there's a there's a bit of a lack of respect there they think you know that you're not doing the hard work anymore so yeah, yeah. So that, i can relate to that yeah. totally one once once i sort of got to a phase where we were only employing people who perceived me to be the guy driving around having the meetings drinking the coffee yeah then it was sort of fine we were off into the next phase so and then from there that you know that landscape creative stuff's what I love, yeah. um, but I still I still love the interaction with the guys that do the work, mm. not just my guys, but all the other people on 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 the building sites and wherever we go. I mean, I I, I like people, yeah, you know, yeah, and I think that's important. No, absolutely. Yeah. 
and making a difference, making a positive difference, because you're not just doing landscaping just for your own fun. You're doing it because you actually the pleasure and yeah. the joy it gives other people. I mean, I think the space we're in, it's a it's a drawing a pretty long bow because you know, like, sure, what we do is nice, but it's it's sort of not essential. And I think a lot of our clients are you know highly motivated and highly driven and highly wealthy individuals, but um, but you know. It, we're not it's not you know I, I sometimes worry that what we do is a bit superficial i personally don't think so i think it's really important um i think it's nothing worse than concrete you know gardens or just lawn gardens i mean you're really making them quite it's the cult it's the how do you say it, the ecology of the yeah i think the i mean i think also that just our works there's a richness to it you know what i mean like it feels it feels full doesn't mm. it and yeah yeah, yeah. So, yeah look i'm pr- certainly proud of it but yeah Let's just talk about that transition because I think it's – I've had the same uh, situation as that in, in being a – what we call it – you know, I'm a, I'm a designer firstly. Uh, nobody taught me about business or running a business. And it wasn't till maybe, I don't know, 20 years into it, someone said you should transition yourself from in the business to on the business. And I'd been the CEO and the creative director. And, and, and that transition, which kind of sounds very similar to what you talked about, was I, I actually felt like – I kind of agreed with it at times, and then sometimes I didn't, and sometimes people pulled me back into the business as, as I was trying to move forward. Um, I had to kind of pull in. I tried a few coaches, um, and you know, a couple of them worked um, okay, but one a lady called Leslie Ann um, in Adelaide, she Skyped me once a week, and it was just brilliant. It just changed yeah. everything. It still was hard. And I guess the question I was going to ask you, was it a hard transition? Oh, look, I think... Um, or how did you do it? You know, I think... One of the things you got to remember is is that a skill is learning to delegate, right? And mm. I th- and I think in terms of and and we have other people involved in our businesses now, and, and and my business partner who runs the majority of our Robert Plum stuff, he's a great mentor, and I'm sort of more of a little bit of that old school where you know like it's not my responsibility necessarily to stand here for all day and explain it all to you, big. Because you know, like I, I had to work it out for myself a bit. Yeah. So you should too. I pay you. Get yeah, on with it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, I, I think delegation was not easy for me, and and mm. and having an understanding that that my way was the way I wanted to do it, but it wasn't the only way. Mm-hmm. And I think once you realise that that you sort of say to people, I need to get that from A to B. Okay, mm. the outcome is doing that as efficiently as possible. Now, do it your way. Yeah, and 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 I said, and I also think one of the key things to our business is we encourage with our team is to say, hey mate, make a decision. I'd prefer you to make a decision and get it wrong, than just ring me or send me an email saying, hey, what do I do here? Yeah. So it's a bit of that that empowerment and delegation skill. Yeah. Um, brings good culture, and I think that you yeah, know yeah. when you you know we've got 120 people within our group now, and you need to have empowerment so they make decisions, and and we embrace failure because. Because and it's not failure or, or mistakes or however you want to class it. Because what I've learned in my business is is we do you do a lot of things well, mm-hmm. okay, and you make some mistakes. But how you fix your mistakes is what defines you as a great business, yeah. and and owning those mistakes. And that's like our clients. A, t- a good example of a client of ours is many years ago we were doing a project that was subterranean and we needed to use the power. But when we pulled whatever lead was out of the power socket and put our lead in, we inadvertently had unplugged the sewer pump. God. So, so their bottom level of their house flooded with sewer. Oh, anyway, so nice. I was panicking about it, right? So 
I organised the whole thing to be, you know, stripped out and all the joinery to be done. And I think it took us about 14 days from the moment of the accident to have it all fixed. And at the end of the process, she said, I wish you'd been our builder because you got that whole thing finished in 14 days and it took our builders X, Y, Z time to do it. Wow. So what they remembered is how well we fixed the mistake, not not what trees we planted or all that. So, and that was a good lesson, mm. you know, um, in the early days. So I, th- I think that was one of the key things that we learned in terms of being able to grow. Yep, very similar situation regarding that kind of the initial kind of growing beyond yourself, one person, having someone to assist you because you've got too much to do and knowing how to delegate because, again, it doesn't come natural and it's not something that we all know how to do it. And I, I agree with your approach, although it took me a little while to accept that, you know, I, I knew how to do it myself. I knew how to solve problems by doing it myself. But it's really hard to communicate that to somebody else because they actually will, will treat it differently. Uh, they would approach it in a different way and come out with a different a- a solution. And they, their solution might be better. As long as it's good, I'm happy with that, you know. We went rock climbing with a team this morning down in uh, Dank Street across yeah, from where yeah, you are. yeah. Um, have you been? Have you done it? No, it's no. awesome. There's like <laughs> twenty of us down there, and I was just thinking about this thing. I was thinking like, okay, it's really cool. There's like a place where you start. You put two hands here. Yeah, you know, there's a symbol there, and there's some colored stones you climb up, and then there's a, another hand where you touch the end. So you've got the beginning and you have the end, and everybody who climbed it, even though the route was, you know, the the markers or the stones you climbed on were all in the same place. I watched the people. Some people hesitated some people went forward with confidence some people did, went a different route on those colors but more often than not they got to the to the end so yeah. they they found their way um and i think that that was kind of in a way quite symbolic about even like delegating or problem solving or going from a beginning you know a problem to a solution and and how you kind of tackle that yeah because it's just a to b isn't it yeah, yeah it is yeah what it is is working it out for yourself that's all it is yeah and uh, and and allowing people to make decisions because you know that that's what's important about people feeling good about themselves feeling like they can they've got some ownership and i think you can't make a business bigger without all the all the team and and you can't grow yeah teams are sort of overused word these days but it is a team and i i try to avoid using words words like staff and and you know, because it's not that we're all part of one big family. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Um, what star sign are you, by the way? Uh, Libran. Okay, they might have a Sagittarius like me. <laughs> From the beginning, were you? Did you knew that you wanted to kind of grow a business? Did you know you wanted to grow a, a family as such? Oh, you know, you know, I'll tell you a little funny story. So I think I've always been entrepreneurial because I've always like I'm a bit of a. You know, like I, I have to focus to finish one thing before starting the next. It's just part of my personality. And I think that's what makes people that have multiple multiple entities like you and I, you know, like that's what keeps us excited to get up a bit, out of bed and go to work. Yeah. So in the in the early 90s when we were running around the eastern suburbs doing people's gardens, we had a little garden maintenance business. So after we'd finished your project, we'd come through and weed the garden, trim the hedges. And, and one Christmas I was there and, and, and we were just throwing out all these Christmas trees. So, you know, they bought it at the delicatessen and they put it in a live tree and it was dead. And I, th- I came up with this idea of renting Christmas trees to people, right? Mm, so you didn't, you didn't have to drive up in your fancy car and pick up this sappy tree. I'll go and get it in the ute and I'll set it up. And, and then I, I thought about it a little bit more. I said, you know what, it's ridiculous trying to do this for the for individual people because they're too fussy so we'll take it corporate right so i basically came up with this idea for this christmas corporate christmas tree rental 
Mm-hmm. And uh, I was working for my friend and, and wonderful client, a woman called Catherine Griner, who who everyone will know is um, Nick Griner's wife. Um, but she 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 was on the board of the Save the Children Fund. So we decided that we'd give a portion of our our proceeds to a charity anyway. Right. So and and then we got these terracotta pots from Italy, and we got these decorations made in Europe, and they were the real deal, live tree, beautifully decorated, delivered to your corporate office and then removed so no hassle and 10 percent of the proceeds went to charity sounds like a great idea right <laughs> anyway all these live trees went into these big offices in the city and there was a good take-up we got a little bit of we, we employed a publicist and we got on the radio with alan jones and all these things like mm. it was it was a slick little operation oh cool and it was really busy um but what happened is when all these trees went into these buildings we we had the receptionists whoever we gave them instructions on how to water them and blah 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 and no one ever watered them so they were in these air-conditioned environments so all of a sudden they started to go brown yeah so they wanted them in november till christmas eve so we had all these trees dying right so before christmas back we go replace them all anyway cut a long story short it just about sunk me so i'd use all the equity that i'd saved up in my other businesses to fund this new business and it was happening at the same time of spring so our other businesses were all really busy and I learned this really good lesson. Said if you're going to diversify into another business, m- at least make a point that they can connect. So there was no connection other than the fact that we were using l- these live cut Christmas trees to horticulture or my other businesses any other way. So I just survived that. Um, and then from there, I realised if I was going to expand my businesses in other ways, they always had to interconnect. So so you know as things developed past that, it was it, they were they were tied back to our other spaces. So let's talk about all your businesses and how they came about in chronological order, if that's all right. Yeah, so we started with the labouring and then the landscaping and then the landscape design. We still had the landscape construction. And then I I, I sort of built quite a nice portfolio of projects and I was looking to get published. So I had a friend who was working um, as the features editor at Bell and I rang her up and said, oh, look, I've got some nice gardens. Can I bring my portfolio in and show you so this is in the heyday of magazines um mm. so you know i went to the acp headquarters and up i went to the 10th floor i think it was or might have been the ninth floor and th- thinking of this bell magazine as this big glossy publication and and you go into that building and it was like a rabbit warren i couldn't have been more surprised it was the most untidy packed warren of mess and anyway you know we i met this wonderful editor called eric matthews and you know when you have these little sliding door moments in your career marcia hosking was my first or my wife was my first and then then marcia hosking was second and then the third one was eric matthews so eric was you know and still is a visionary uh he he works he he works at Hermes now in a creative role in australia and does a beautiful job but um he he basically looked through my portfolio and said oh look you know we'd certainly like to publish some of your work and off i went and then about an hour later, the phone rings and, and and my friend Emma Lieutenant said, oh, Eric really liked your work, but he'd actually like you to be the garden editor of the magazine. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about that? And, and that was like, you know, I mean, for a guy who wanted to be published in the magazine to be asked to be the gardening editor, it was like one of those great days wow. in your career. So what that was, it was an opportunity to see other people's work, but not just landscape work. Um, like what Eric was, Eric was a, so there was quite good budgets back in those days. So we used to get to do still life. So come up with ideas and, 
and you know like we, we've got the budget to photograph it and do it properly and then publish it in the magazine and, and you know these days magazines are interwoven with you know sales and the editorial are all sort of it's murky but back in those days it was the sales were the sales and the editorial was the editorial and sales didn't have a say in what editorial yeah. did so it was good fun but we used to do i used to have a page in the back of the magazine called what's new and it was a gardening page and 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 one day eric said do a story on letterboxes and i thought great idea so mm. i went out to the world to see what there was in, in terms of letterboxes and there wasn't anything really there was some you know like the ones your architect designs that are custom made and then there was pretty much the ones from the hardware store so i thought oh there's a there's a segment missing here so i'll just sketch up some myself and and have them prototyped and we'll put them in the magazine so that was a couple of simple little um letterboxes but they were really popular so this little robert plum business so i had to come up with a name for this so this it sort of just popped out of nowhere this business so we thought oh well we'll we'll make these letterboxes so we came up with a range of 10 and a few stools and a couple of bits of other bits and pieces and robert plum was born so so robert plum's not a person no so the name comes from the plum bob so the plum bob is a device that the egyptians use which is a counterweight on the bottom of a piece of string with a point uh-huh. so it's for basically positioning a uh, a perpendicular point over a point on the horizon yeah. to get a square so robert plum plum bob i thought that's a good name because mm. he sort of sounds robert sounds like he knows what he's up to doesn't he <laughs> <laughs> reassuring yeah people still call asking for him i say he's he, he's out today yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> how funny yeah so it was an interesting journey because it's been it's that business is now a multitude of businesses and there there's a there's a bit of an awkward dis- disconnect but we kind of make it work with with the assistance of some great people so that that business has sort of struggled um because it, it's been it's a difficult sector outdoor furniture and accessories but we've engaged now you know some help with david harrison and karen so Karen, when we did the book, she, she, her and David, David's our creative director in that space, and and it and it's we've just taken that space in Dank Street, so mm. it's really starting to feel good. And we, Bill, my business partner in that, and we have another young girl who's also a director who who was running the business. So there's some good energy around it, but it's it's hard work. You've got to you've got to continually re, re, refresh the whole time. Yeah. Can you talk about before you, the, the Christmas trees? You're saying that they weren't interconnected. No, so is, is letterbox interconnected? I mean, oh, is it no, still not so much. But the outdoor furniture and all the pots and all the other stuff yeah. are. But yeah, I mean, they're they're around the architecture space. So you know, like we're we're always in architecture because you know we're part of that process. So, yeah. and and the interesting thing about that Robert Plum, originally we were trying to fabricate stuff in Asia. So the letterboxes are still made there because we can't effectively produce them in Australia for the right price. But we started building some furniture locally. And um, so how the other Robert Plum strands came about was I met a young guy called Bill Clifton, who's my business partner in all the Robert Plum stuff. Mm-hmm. He was an apprentice on a building site. And I said, look, do you want to come and do some structural landscape stuff for us on weekends? Because we, we, we used to work long days and long hours and there was always weekend work around Christmas. Mm-hmm. He said, sure. So he ended up leaving the building company he was working for and starting his own little business. Um, and he would do all our structural landscape work and then – the guy that was making our furniture was in Melbourne and it wasn't working, so we kind of offered it to Bill. And so Bill started making it. So Robert Plum sort of became a structural landscape business and a furniture business. And then we sort of were getting all these requests for people, for Bill to do structural building work for them as well. So it slowly organically morphed into a building company. So that, oh. that building company now in terms of, um, you know, the size of the business is our biggest business. Um, and what's that called? 
Robert Plum build. Ah, yeah, so we've got build Robert to Plum the end of store, that. and then we've got Robert <laughs> Plum build, and then we have a small property maintenance business which does all the warranty work for Robert Plum build called Robert Plum Fix, and then we've got a couple of joinery businesses and as well. So, not called Robert Plum. No, one's called Cranbrook Workshop, and that's because of the build. The street we're in is um, in Cranbrook Road in Botany. Okay. Yeah. And the landscaping business was called Will Danger. Was it? It was William Danger Landscapes originally. Yep. And then it became William Danger and Associates, mm-hmm. and then it became Danger Baron Smith because, again, just in terms of strategy and sort of like looking for succession planning, we get the you know when, one thing I think it's important when you identify key people you want to hang on to them, so we gave some we have a very good accountant who advises advises us strategically, mm-hmm. so we we I gave some equity to these young guys, young guy and girl, and and they've been fantastic. So yeah, wow. we've been able to to grow but at the same time i've been able to do less of them of the stuff i don't like doing which is the fee proposals and the bills and all the boring stuff careful we don't sell all that because then they're gonna go hang on why are we doing all this boring stuff (laughs) (laughs) um but that's that's quite a big move isn't it changing your your name when it's all about you did did the customers always want to see you as well it's it's a bit like i mean i we we always said in our practice that you'll get so when it was just me, it was you were getting the director, but now it's the three of us. It's still you're getting the director, and and that's one of the things that is is challenging. Like I I I am across every project that goes out of the office, but it doesn't mean I'm in the meetings or at the regional cons- consultation. Yeah. But you know I I'm the creative director of that business, which means everything that creative comes out of there is directed by me. So you're obviously a very busy guy. Busy enough, yeah. But I mean, I, I like working. Um, yeah. But it, 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 that is another challenge that I face is work-life balance, which has always been difficult. I would say the majority of people continue to work in the business, you know, like you were doing your landscaping. They would be there for their whole career potentially. And there's nothing wrong with that. If they, if they choose to do that, that's great. But if they're frustrated and they want to evolve, and I think it does go against your nature, one's nature, and it's not as easy as it sounds. And, and, and it's not to say it's not impossible. It's totally possible. But it, I think a lot of people find it difficult to make that transition. Yeah. So I, what, what is it that they should, should do? Well, you need um, to, like with what you said about the person that, you know, helped you, get, you know, get through that. You've got to, got to get advice from people and you've got to pay for it. And, and I think the thing is that the mistake people make, it's about fees, isn't it? So, you know, like when, you, when you're, when you're and, it, and it's in our world everywhere, it's like, Okay, so I want the best person because I want the best advice, mm-hmm. but I don't, I don't, I want, I don't want to pay that. So, so you're not going to get the best advice. No. So, so it's quite a common, yeah, it's so <laughs> a common we're, thing we're, people call up. All of us see this stuff, right? Yeah. Everyone does. But, but, and if you can't afford it, you can't afford it. So, so I, I don't know how to get navigate that. But I think you, you, mm. you need to, as a business, allow yourselves to create liquidity to be able to afford those people. So we over the years we've had different Nirvana moments with people like Eric Matthews where it, it changed the way you do things but it doesn't necessarily inform you on how to set stuff up strategically. So we, 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 we got to a point with Robert Plum where it was getting convoluted and confusing and we didn't know what we were doing and this, is about, this forms part of our earlier conversation about what you do. Mm-hmm. And we engage a woman called Petrina Baker to do some strategic. Oh thing. yeah, Petrina. Yeah, she's a she's a legend, right? Yeah, she's cool. So we engaged her f- for a for a big fee 
to kind of write a vernacular around what our business is and what they should be called and how they sit. And, and you know, we, f- we said, okay, well, she knows what she's doing and mm-hmm. we possibly don't. So whatever she says, once we've, we've drilled down into it, we're going to do it. And we mm-hmm. followed everything to a T. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, that's what we do as a business. Mm-hmm. Like we engage good people for the right money and we listen to them. And, th- and that's what I think a lot of businesses don't do. No. They, they get all this information and then they take two-tenths of it and they wonder why it didn't work and it's yeah. not their fault it's the guy they engage's fault but they say well did you listen to them and, and action all the things they said to action so i, I think mm. and you've got to get those people on you've got to find those people from referral yeah i yeah. totally agree with yeah, that from other people's experiences i've made a lot of mistakes over the years and i'm you know i acknowledge that i mean i at the time when it happens i'm devastated <laughs> Yeah, we're telling. <laughs> and in, my keeps myself. And in mourning, you know, you're in terrible state. Yeah. Um, I, I've constantly since day one been asking questions and asking people's advice and trying to find out who is the person to tap into. And so, and people have different opinions of that. And and sometimes I've been in a situation where I've asked someone's advice and it's actually sent me down a wrong track, you know, or I've been working with a certain or- person or an organization that actually hasn't helped me the way I thought it was yeah. going to. But it's just through trial and error too. Don't give up. When it doesn't work, <clears throat> dust yourself off and actually go look for an alternative uh, perspective on things. And I think that, like I've, I've done that recently, a couple of years ago with my accountants and just like completely transformed my business. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, that's, I mean, that's what we've, I mean, Bill, my business partner, bought a new firm in when he came across who, who was a surf boat rower. So he's, he used to do surf boat rowing as a hobby. This guy was an accountant and a surf boat rower. They were good mates. And, you know, for all intensive purposes, he seemed like a bright guy. But he, you know, I think the thing for him, our willingness as as individuals, and we're not super risky in the way we do things, but we're happy to have a crack. Mm. He, he He's sort of in the retirement phase of his business and he's only got five or six clients. And of all the clients that he's got within his business, he's picked the five that he wants to keep hanging out with. Yeah. And we're, we're, we're lucky to be one of them. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's... It, we just those those meetings are fun, you know. We have a good time, and yeah, yeah. and and you know we've invested in some other things that that might not typically on the face value seem like the right way to go, from my view. But because our accountants said, "Guys, this is a good deal. Let's do it." Yeah, we we you know we do it, and it, they work. Yeah, so you yeah. know you just got to get those people, and you got to you know if it's like, it's like tax, people complain about paying tax, but if you're paying lots of tax, you're doing something right, aren't you? I think in the past I've kind of because I'm so excited about potential and every day and ideas and you know the world is full of potential even at even hard times really I know it's hard for a lot of people but you know if you if you kind of refocus and be open to opportunities I'm, it's kind of a hard thing to say in this pandemic I think it's I shouldn't even go there um, yeah. but I I believe there's opportunities in every street in every neighborhood and in, in every in every situation if you're open to them. Uh, and they do reveal themselves to you with it, with it, with that kind of mindset. But, but yeah, I mean, the, the you know. pandemic brings the best and the worst out in people. It does it does? And, and, and you know, I had this conversation not long ago with a client who was complaining about how her, how her horse son, you know, wasn't going to be able to go to schoolies and da 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 da. And I said, wasn't that long ago when kids his age went to war? <laughs> when, when they <laughs> finished school, you know what I mean? So yeah. like, I don't want to listen to that. Rush. No, no, yeah, no, yeah. Poor kids. Yeah. <laughs> um, you work with a lot of amazing creative people too, like uh, Luigi Rosselli. And he says that he sends you a, a first-hand uh, s- sketch, you know, a, a loose sketch, and early on in a project. And I guess I want to understand is 
how do you understand that vision? Because, I mean, it's often quite... I've seen some of the sketches in your book, and it's incredibly loose, right? Yeah, well, his sketches... I mean, he's an amazing... Oh, he's an amazing hand, artist, hand, hand yeah. drawer. So, yeah. But, I mean, it, it, that's his vision. And, and, and it makes our it actually makes our work a little easier because it's easy to interpret. Mm-hmm. So so from that, you know, he's not prescriptive on what that should be, what tree, but it's it's how he sees the building. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Luigi was, again, one of those people that you form relationships with people and they're good, you're reluctant to change, right? So mm-hmm. he used to do a lot of his work with a wonderful landscape architect called Vladimir Sitter. Um, and he was he was from Eastern Europe, and he moved back there. I gathered that. Yeah. So yeah. so Luigi was kind of forced into having to find someone else. Oh right. And we just happened to be working on a job where he he was the architect, and the client had engaged us ind- independently of him as the landscape people. And and you know again you know you look at those opportunities, you go well here's you know strategically you go this is an architect who does a lot of good work, and we should really work hard to try and do a beautiful job here. So. So we can, you know, do further projects with him. And, and, and the project, we'd done a couple of little things before, but this project was a really good project. And, and it was in my book. So it's the oldest project in the book, but it was the sort of first good project that Wedgie and I did together. Mm-hmm. And, and look, he, we, did a, um, we did some interesting drill down into some of our project analysis the other day. He represents 20% of our work. Wow. So, you know, you, you get that right 20 years ago. Yeah. And you know, well, and, I, and I'll have to send him a link to the podcast because <laughs> <laughs> I want to keep that relationship. We'll have to get him in yeah. here if yeah, he, he would. He's a good fella, yeah. And he's and what I like about Luigi, he, he's um, he's Swiss Italian, so he's succinct. Um, mm. He's very good at managing time, so you know, and and he's tough on his clients. Like mm. he, he's a brand, and and this yep. is what he does, and and he tells you to do it this way, and and these are his reasons. And yeah, sure, we'll listen and change and mod- modify and massage, but. But you know he's principled, and if 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 you don't you know if you want to take a different direction, he's happy to say, well, we're not your people, we're not your people, and move on. I remember yeah. meeting him with uh, Stefano Manfredi, yeah, yeah, uh, when he did Berta, yeah, in, yeah. Uh, at yeah. the Star Casino. We did the branding for, it and, and yeah. um, Luigi did the interior. Amazing guy. Um, sustainability, obviously, you know, is important, anyways. But with the fires that happened last Christmas and uh, what's going on in the world. You're dealing with nature and material, natural materials. And um, in your view, what's your view in terms of sustainable gardens and sustainable landscaping? I mean, it's, it's a tricky one because most of our work is, is close to the coast, so we're dealing with fairly poor soil. Mm-hmm. So water is always an issue. But, but look, I think as, as my career has evolved and what, what am I interested in, it's probably... I'm moving into more of a native space. I mean, I love succulents, but I think they're not, and the Bismarck house is full of them because it suits that house. Mm. But, but I think the future in what I want to do, and I'm not saying our practice is necessarily going to do this, but because we're still going to be doing those projects where people want lush, because that's what we're known for, is is probably moving towards a more naturalistic approach. And there's a there's a landscape designer in Melbourne called Gordon Ford, and he, you know. You know those swimming pools that are made out of bush rock. You know that they, they all look horrendous, right? And I don't know if you remember the ads in the old days with Peter Sterling and the elephant for the Blue Haven pools with the with the rocks around the edges of them. Like that's the kind yeah. of where it could have gone. This right. Gordon Ford guy, he he could make a swimming pool that was chlorinated with a filtration system look like a natural body of water. And I think wow. he had a young guy working for him called Sam Cox. And and I think if if you have a look at that after today have a look online that that's where 
I don't want my practice to be look like a, a piece of nature in, in an urban environment because it's site-specific. But I, that's, mm. that's probably what drives me these days as, in terms of my passion in terms of the plant material. And that is, that is quite sustainably responsible as a landscape. Mm-hmm. You know, I guess the sustainable thing is more about, I think, water use, but also, you know, catching water. I mean, we never have – I mean, the basic states, you should have a tank a certain size and they're never big enough, but – it's it's a cost thing. So to have it, to, people don't understand how much water gardens need. You can't use your roof water to water a garden through summer; it runs out. Um, so you know it's tricky. Mm. Um, but I think you know that just having more trees is, is just good for sustainability. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what's your next move? Because you you talked earlier when we were offline about um, your warehouses in botany. That sounds really exciting. Yeah, especially so we, the fact it's in botany. Yeah, well, so when, when we did the Robert Plum business, we, we needed warehousing. And I thought, um, this is in the sort of oh, mid-2000s, I thought, oh, well, we, you know, we'll try and get a warehouse close to where we live or where our office, our office at that time was in Edgecliff. So we had a bit of a look around and everything was just so expensive. Mm. So I, I just had to think about, you know, if I'm going to invest in some industrial property, where should it be? And I just looked at all the areas that, and I think it, and I thought, you know, we could go into Alexandria, we could go to Brookvale, we could go to the Inner West. But then, again, a lot of those areas where Brookvale's too far away, Inner West was a bit expensive, mm. Alexandria was expensive, but Botany sort of was unfashionable. So mm. we, bought a, we bought a shed in, bot, in, in Botany and, and then we've since added to complete the strata another three and then we bought another one in another street to future-proof ourselves with. But, mm-hmm. but they, they've been a great investment for us because Botany, it's so close to everything. Yeah. Um, so we, we sort of, we warehouse there, our joinery business is there, our offices are there and hopefully what we'll do is, and we're just in the process of early stages of talking to architects about what we might look at there, but it's where, where we are zoned light industrial, we'd like to eventually try to develop that so that it was, our, manufact- our light manufacturing was part of a development but the rest of it was probably offices for creative people and other people that don't, typically necessarily want to run a small business and they live down there but have it up you know in the city or in surrey hills so Mm. creating a little hub there for for sort of like-minded people um and and be a bit and be pioneers a little bit in the sense that you know it'd be it'd be early for that space and maybe it's too early we just got to do our um, due diligence down there i used to hang around there a lot because i just saw you could just i drive around a lot and look at you know different areas and you could see that 10 years ago that that was you know a little bit rough yeah and because obviously there's the uh the ship the port there as well um which is pretty gross um but obviously essential for yeah you know, I mean, our supplies. It's sort of, it has its own beauty but I mean, it's an amazingly yeah. beautiful bay isn't it yeah it is and that's where joseph banks lived yeah. right yeah I mean, he so was that's, where he, first, that's where he partner. first came in wasn't it yeah, yeah. so yeah so but um yeah look you know i mean we'll see what happens there but and if we just kept it as it is, that's fine too. I think it's really smart. Yeah, I want yeah. to come and have a look at it. Yeah. You're obviously very focused on other people's lives and making their lives happier and more beautiful, uh, whether that's deliberate or they just, <laughs> you know, that's just the business that you're in. We, we definitely make them more beautiful. I'm not sure if it makes them happier. <laughs> <laughs> that could be my next book, mate. Yeah, yeah. Uh, design a happier life. Yeah. Um, do you think you, you talked earlier also around finding a balance, but do you think you've designed your life? Oh, it could always be better. Um, I mean, I've got an amazing wife um, and partner, and I've got some great kids. But 
she's <laughs> she's been she's been super supportive, and I think that's a big part of my success. You know, it's you know, it's all. I mean, she's so modest, um, and and you know, Julia, you, yeah, right? Julia. You need yeah. someone special to so so you know, like if you build a profile, which in the global sense is nothing, but in sort of our space, you you do that. People, you know, people know about you, and 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 you need someone who can be your partner, who's happy to not be the the shining light sometimes, and I, and that's you know, like that's why she's such a great woman, and mm. but keeps you grounded. Yeah, she does, and and you know, you know, when you get, you know, we get, we all get that correspondence from our clients, which is which is not what we want, and you you think right, well, I'll send, I'll draft this email now in response, and I think email is a poor way to communicate. <laughs> Text is even worse. She 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 always say to me, just leave that in your um. Drafts, oh. and we'll look at it again in the morning. And and you know, like the thirty odd times that I've done that over the last twenty years, I've never sent one. So it's wow. just having that someone with another opinion. So that's good, you know. Like that's I think so Saved that you. part of our life, that part of my life is good, and I think you know that makes life a lot easier. Um, yeah. I'm not a huge, I'm not, I'm not a huge advocate of holidays. I, I find I need to constantly be stimulated, and I can't go and sit on a beach for three weeks. I'm better with a sort of long weekend or. A, five days here or seven days there but you know and that, that's hard for her because yeah anyway do, do you ever switch off oh i don't don't do it easily no not really oh, and that's yeah. actually not a bad thing it's funny how people talk yeah. about the importance of having you know life balance and yeah. i think that i'm i personally have i've got one life yeah and there is no on and off or and there's not work or family or it's it's all one isn't it yeah i mean i think um I, I never stop thinking about things and so my I think about my family I think about my hobbies I think about my work and I I got that in the right order okay but it's not always in that order do you know what I mean yeah so you know like I'm always thinking about stuff and 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 and, and I'm always excited and I'm always enthused and and I, I just like projects so you know whether that project is fixing the kids push bike or tidying the garage or mowing the lawn or whatever it might be mm. I like a start, and I like a, like a little bit in the middle, and then I like to end it. But um, that we'll always be doing. Like even if I sort of wind down out of the creative stuff that I do with Robert Plum and Dango Barrett Smith, I'd still always be doing something. Julia and I always have a project on the go, mm. and she's she you know she's very modest, but she's got a great sense of style, and she's part of the reason why you know these little houses that we develop are so good because. You know, she just collectively, her and I get together and work it out and and it looks nice. And obviously you feel that. You feel that walking in, I went to that book launch the other day and you just feel the energy of that space. Yeah, but it's not intimidating. No. Yeah, yeah. because that's what we want. Like, and we always say, you know, you see some amazing work by some amazing architects, but when you walk in there, you sort of, you know, it's you feel a bit intimidated. You don't know where to stand or, you know what I mean, what do you touch? I mean, we we want everything we do to feel like it's a bit robust. Mm. Yeah, yeah. No, it's strong. It's it's there. It's masculine, but there's a femininity to it. Yeah. It's a softness to it as well. Yeah, and I think that comes from you know a whole range of things. Yeah, yeah. So what's the what does the future look like for you? I mean, just is you just you just keep going, oh, morphing into no, I don't know. as you go. We have these sessions with our strategic people, and it's about what five and ten years look like. Mm. And, and I guess for me, five years is just doing what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I'd like not to work Mondays or Fridays, but that that takes some time to organise. Yeah. And, and and I think we'd like not to live in Sydney, so the Bismarck House will be our Sydney house. Yeah. Julia is a very passionate surfer. Wow. I used to be, and then I moved to Bondi and stopped because it just wasn't. I just didn't find it relaxing. Right. 
Um, so, so you know, I'll start doing that again soon because I'm going to stop riding some motorbikes as much. And um, and we we might like to try and find a little place not too far from the city, mm-hmm. and then and then maybe you know have the Bondi house when we need it and the other house when when we don't want to. But I don't know you. I got to be careful. You get too much stuff. Stuff <laughs> stuff takes looking after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Less is more. So we're going to wrap it up in a second, but I was kind of intrigued by, you know, you seem like a very upbeat guy and very passionate and very determined and doing so many different things. Do you ever get down? I don't know. People ring me and say, hey, you know, I'm having, I'm having the best day of my life. Like, I don't know. I just, that's my mantra. Like, mm. you know, I think my mum, when she was alive, she was a pretty amazing individual. So there's a bit of a misconception in, in life that tomorrow's going to be better than today. But I think, you know, what what I what I've learnt to understand is that life's a lot. Uh, there's a, l- a big part of life is is mediocre, mm-hmm. but but if you think mediocre, you get mediocre. So you know I'm a glass half full guy. Yeah, yeah. So you know, and I think my positivity rubs off on people. Wow. Yeah, it absolutely does. Uh, I only known you a few weeks now. <laughs> <laughs> Your hair's starting uh, to grow back, mate. Yeah, yeah and no, we we share that. We share that. <laughs> I need to grow my beard a bit longer. Yours yeah, looks no. cool. <laughs> it's annoying. Um, yeah, but I think that, you know, it's been, oh, it's, it's always so nice to meet someone um, like yourself. We have a lot in common, but still still busy doing it and not sure where it's going to go, but still enjoying it every day, mostly. And actually in making the world a better place as a result. So, you know, you're very willing and able. Uh, and uh, it's been really a wonderful pleasure to catch up with you today, Will. Thank Thanks, you. Vince, for having me. I feel honoured to be part of it. Ah, you're so cool. Thanks, man. Thanks, mate. Okay, Thank you all for listening. If you want to find out more about Designing Your Life, head over to our website at designyourlife.com.au or on our social media at Frost Collective. If you enjoyed this episode and found it inspiring, please don't forget to review or subscribe.